0: Well, good morning again, everybody. Um, Most of you know that I was in the military before I became a pastor, and um, I had an experience probably at the three-year point. That's about the point when you have to decide to take another assignment and continue on in the military or say, nope, I'm done, and then the process starts for you to get out of the military, and that was a really big season of discernment for me and angst because I don't make decisions easily. Um, But I had an experience one afternoon. At that point I was worshiping at First Presbyterian Church in Colorado Springs, which is similar to University Presbyterian Church here in Seattle. It's about 5,000 member, big downtown um, city church. And right across the street from the church uh, was a park, one of the few parks in Colorado Springs because they don't invest in parks. They send you to the mountains. And but there was a park across the street, and that park tended to be where the homeless community um, congregated, and so you would go to church, I would go to church, and I would spend the morning worshiping, and um, they had a really excellent staff, and the worship music was great, and the preaching was great, and I was a part of the young adult ministry there, which was great, and so I would go, and I would get filled up, and then I would walk out the doors, and right across the street was this park full of folks who are suffering and hurting. And I, over time, just really began to feel um, the disconnect there, that here I am getting fat on the goodness that is intended to be given away. And what am I doing to give away the goodness that I am receiving when I come to worship on Sunday morning? And for me, that moment was a really essential part of my deciding to get out of the military and pursue seminary was just recognizing that um, first press colored strings is not unique in that, that I think as as Christians, we um, are falling down on our job of sharing the love of Christ with people outside the walls of the church. Um, And I very much felt like that was kind of on my heart. And what God was saying was, we need people in the church who are propelling the church outside of itself to share the love of Jesus Um, by word and by by deed to a suffering world. Well, today's passage is about evangelism. Uh, And in this passage, Paul enters into the city of Athens. This is probably a fairly familiar passage to many of you. Um, Athens was a very different culture than his own. He was a Jew. He was a rabbi. He'd grown up surrounded in a Jewish community. um, But he finds himself in Athens, the center of kind of Roman culture and thought, it's a very different worldview than Paul's own worldview than the worldview he had grown up in, and yet he dives in there and he engages the people there in a dialogue about faith. Now Paul's context and his relationship to his context is not all that different from our relationship to our context, is it? as Christians living in Seattle, that we go day in and day out into environments where we are the minority as far as our beliefs, our views of God, what's going on in the world. And it's really scary, I think, for most of us to think about going into those environments and being transparent and vocal about what we believe, especially the name of Jesus. We live in a, in a culture where anything goes, where what's right for you is right for you, but don't question what's right for me. And so to come in and proclaim Jesus is the only way. That's terrifying for most of us. And yet that is the example that we see here in Paul's story. And this is the passage that the Lord has for us this morning. And so we're going to wrestle with it. And I ask that you would, um, well, we're going to pray that God would open our hearts to the word that he has for us um, through this story in the life of Paul. Paul. Let me see if there's anything else I want to tell you here. So Paul is in Athens. This is the intellectual, the religious hub of the empire. And it says that he engages the Areopagus. Now the Areopagus, I didn't do a lot of research into this. Let's call it like the Supreme Court. right? These are kind of the elite of the elite. Um, These are the thought leaders in the culture. And he goes to them in, in their home turf. He goes to them on Mars Hill, which in Seattle, Mars Hill. We've got the former Mars Hill School, we've got the former Mars Hill Church, Um, this is a, this evokes lots of different ideas for us, and this is where it comes from. So these are the cream of Athenian society, and this is a pantheistic society. So it's not that they don't believe in God, but they believe in gods, all of the gods, right? Everything is imbued with a god, and so they have idols all over the city. Every corner you turn, there is a different shrine, a different idol. Uh, And yet Paul comes into this context and he proclaims Jesus as the one true God. And so our goal this morning is to simply see what what does the Lord have for us in this story? What might we learn about the way that we engage and go into our communities day in and day out? So let's pray. Jesus, we ask that you would soften our hearts this morning. Evangelism is something that you have explicitly called your church to, and yet for most of us, if we are honest, uh, it's terrifying to think about engaging people who, who believe very differently with us than us and sharing what we believe. Lord, what do you have for us this morning? pray that you would convict us, but I pray that you would also hold us as we wrestle with this passage. In Jesus' name, amen. So this is in Acts chapter 17. I'm going to begin reading um, in verse 1. No, where am I going to be? In verse 16. So you can read along if you would like. It's not going to be on the screen because it's a little bit long. So just listen um, and put yourself in this passage. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, Then they took him and brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus, where they said to him, "'May we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting? "'You are bringing some strange ideas to our ears, and we would like to know what they mean. "'All the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing "'but talking and listening to the latest ideas. "'Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, "'People of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious.' For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, to an unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very thing you worship, and this is what I am going to proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and doesn't live in temples built by hands. He's not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by human design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered But others said, we want to hear you again on this subject. At that, Paul left the council. Some of the people became followers of Paul and believed. Among them was Dionysius, a member of the Areopagus, also a woman named Damaris, and a number of others. So I don't normally use alliteration, but we've got five C's for this morning. I was trying to make it fewer than five, but five Cs. So five Cs, which are keys for effectively sharing our faith that I think we find here in this passage. So the first thing that we need to notice here is compassion. Paul's reaction to his context is compassion. So it says that when Paul witnessed all of the shrines and the idols, he was greatly distressed. So this word here is the same word that's used in the Old Testament to describe God's reaction to the creation of the golden calf. It says that God was provoked to anger. That's the same word here. That When Paul sees all of these different idols, all of these different shrines, he is provoked to anger. He is saddened. He is indignant at this idolatry because Paul knows that the wages of sin are death but the gift of God is eternal life. He's greatly distressed. And so we need to pause and reflect for a minute here as we read of Paul's reaction to what he sees in his context. And then we need to ask ourselves, what is is our reaction? What is my reaction when I encounter idolatry, people worshiping things other than the one true God in my day-to-day life, if I'm honest? Do I have a reaction? Do I feel indignant? Am I outraged? If I am honest, much of the time as I go about my day to day and I encounter people who do not follow Jesus, my reaction is pretty much a non-reaction. I'm pretty apathetic most of the time. I don't feel like Paul felt most of the time. I'm not distressed. And so if I begin to unpack that, to understand, well, why is it that, that I don't have a reaction, that I don't feel sadness or, or motivated to act? Well, most of the time, it's because I am not attached. I have no connection to the people that I'm encountering. I spend most of my time interacting with you all. Granted, I'm the pastor here. <laughs> But we have a wonderfully tight community here, and that's something that we foster and something that we have built over time together. And so it can be very easy to spend the majority of our time engaged in these relationships. But what we see here is that it is critical for the health of the world that believers of Jesus also be intentionally engaging in relationships with folks that don't share our beliefs. And not just to share Jesus with them. We need to engage authentically out of simply a desire to know and love and be in relationship with them. We need to share life with people who are different than us. We need to cross the street and get to know the people that live in that house across the street. We need to invite other people in to our homes to listen and to share stories with people who are different than us. We need to be curious. We need to share about ourselves. And yes, one of the reasons that we do that is because it is through knowing people who are different from us, people who do not know Jesus as their Lord and Savior, that compassion begins to develop in our hearts, that connection that makes us care. And it's through relationship with others that we begin to understand what makes them tick, what's really going on underneath that mask that we all put on that says everything's okay. It's through relationship and sitting across the table from one another that we begin to learn about the challenges and the places where they desperately need Jesus. The second C after compassion is community. Because compassion is is not going to happen unless we are in relationship with the other. Compassion is not going to develop unless we are willing to press in to people who are very different than us, to truly engage with and get to know the people that God has placed around us that we brush past on a daily basis. Unless we live in community with people, it is unlikely that compassion that true concern for their well-being will be present. Jesus, for this reason, chose to locate, well, I don't know the mind of God. I am surmising that this is one of the reasons that Jesus spent all of his ministry in a very small geographic region. Paul as he goes about his ministry, stays for considerable lengths of time in the places where he preaches and teaches often. And then he maintains contact with those places through letter writing. We don't even write letters today. This was not an easy thing for Paul to maintain contact, but he did it because it was important. Those relationships mattered. And the value of community is one of the reasons why Sanctuary has chosen to invest in a neighborhood. We have folks now commuting from a pretty wide region just because of the realities of life in Seattle, but we continue to be committed to investing in Greenwood because we believe that there is something that significant that happens in knowing and being known over the long haul. We've been here 15 years now, and many of us can look back at relationships that we have made with people in this neighborhood that have been developing over the course of 15 years. This is Long work. And yet this is the way that God chooses to work, through community, through relationship. So authentic relationship is vital to even develop a desire to share our faith. But then once we have that desire, what do we share? How do we bridge the gap between where we are and where the other is? And that's where the third C comes in. Curiosity. Curiosity. Paul gets to know his context before he ever begins to speak in this passage. Because understanding our context and the beliefs and the worldview of the people we hope to share with is critical. As we saw in the beginning of this passage, Paul takes the time to watch and to look and to listen, he walks around the city. He's looking, he's listening, he's learning, he's curious. And we see that he, he discovers an altar to an unknown God in this tour of the city. And that ends up becoming for him a starting point. He's like, oh, I see a spiritual longing here, a curiosity. I can start here to draw a connection to what I believe. He sees that the city is full of idols, and he stores that away. And then it says that he encounters Epicurean and Stoic philosophers. Now, Paul was, was well-read. He was an intelligent, learned man. And so he would have probably already known that Epicureans saw seeking happiness and pleasure as the ultimate goal of life. Epicureans saw that they believed that God was uninvolved and irrelevant to day-to-day life. And Stoics, they placed thinking above feeling. They suppressed desire. And while they believed that everything was fated by God, their understanding of God was that pantheistic understanding of God, gods are in all things. And so that's the proliferation of idols and shrines all over the city. So Paul takes the time to be curious, to understand and to learn about the beliefs of the people he's talking to. And we too need to be curious. I think that's the best entry point into relationship is curiosity. Um, I have very slowly been getting to know some of the other parents at my kid's school. And there's um, a community of Ethiopian families that go to the school. And one of the moms I'd gotten to know a little bit when Alistair was in kindergarten and Her daughter is once again in Alistair's class in second grade, and um, there's some other Ethiopian children, but somehow I've never been able to push through my insecurity um, when I see this kind of cluster of Ethiopian mamas to engage, until a month or so ago, I finally pressed into the group, and I focused on the one woman I knew, and then kind of introduced myself to all of these women. And got their names, you know there's five of them, and so like two seconds later I've forgotten all but one of the names, and I cannot remember which one it's connected to. But I see one of them in the hall a few days later, and I'm like, Sophia! And she's like, no! <laughs> 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 uh, um. But there was this beginning of a connection there, and she ended up coming to a movie night at our house and bringing me two big things of Ethiopian food. And I didn't know how to eat it. You know, I had to ask her to explain to me how to eat. Um, And yet there was such joy and beauty in just acknowledging, like I'm clueless and just being curious. And she loved the chance to teach me. And it was this really poignant moment, sitting downstairs while our kids watched Captain Underpants (laughs) upstairs, of connection. So it was terrifying beforehand, and then it was lovely as soon as I pressed through that and entered into an encounter. We need to be curious. And this demands that we be good listeners as well, doesn't it? You don't just ask a question and then completely tune out, which is basically what I did when I asked their names. And I don't know that Jesus' followers are known for being good listeners. But sharing about Jesus may very often involve listening more than it involves talking. Because we need to understand who these people are, what they believe, what they care about. And then once we enter into a discussion about these things that matter, we need to be open to hearing feedback, pushback, questions, observations, to understand where they are at. So it's okay if we listen more than we talk. It's probably good because we're learning one another. But at the same time, as we listen, part of the listening should be looking for points of connection, like Paul made as he walked around the city, and looking for opportunities to share about what we believe about Jesus. Now that listening may also involve going away and doing some learning on our own, learning more about the Islamic faith, or the Jewish faith, or... Whatever worldview the people that we are engaged with come from. So that again, we have more points of connection. We can ask better questions. Karl Bart was known for saying that Christians must read the Bible in one hand and the newspaper in the other. It's important that we be informed about the world that we live in as we engage it. So that was the third C. Curiosity. So the fourth. Context matters. Context matters. Hopefully this is clear to us. Sanctuary planted a wake church 10 years ago now. Just, I mean, what, three quarters of a mile away on Aurora. And yet any of us who have spent any time in the Aurora community and in Greenwood recognize there is a significant, significant difference in those contexts, Right? The Ministry of Awake through the Aurora Commons is largely ministering to people in the sex trade, people dealing with homelessness and addiction. We are surrounded by that here at Sanctuary and yet it's different here in Greenwood. Talking to a tech executive is going to look different than talking to a rural farmer. The things that they care about The things that are consuming their thoughts and their days are different. So the conversation will be different. What we focus on as we share about our faith needs to look different depending on the person that we are talking to. And this is not heresy. Jesus himself contextualizes what he says, the way that he engages in different contexts, right? When he engages the religious leaders, he is kind of hellfire and damnation. He kind of lays it out for them. When he talks with tax collectors and prostitutes, grace abounds. He contextualizes his message based off of the person that he is talking to and what they need to hear. In this passage, we see Paul contextualizing his message, and the way that he engages. He's sitting in the marketplace where Socrates conversed several hundred years before him. And so he uses the methods that Socrates used. He reasons with them, it says. These are philosophers, and so he philosophizes with the people. Paul also doesn't quote any scripture here. Paul is well-versed in scripture. And what he says here is is completely scriptural. But he knows that quoting verse, chapter numbers to these people is not going to have any impact on them because they place no authority in scripture. And so he gives the content of scripture and then quotes from two of their authors, writers that they respect, that they recognize. And so again, he draws connections between their worldview and his own to make his point. And then Paul uses a point of connection as he's walked and talked, as he's discovered this altar to an unknown God, as his starting point to share with them what he believes. I see that you have an altar to an unknown God. Well, I know who that God is. Let me introduce you to him. And then he takes his knowledge of the Epicurean worldview and the Stoic worldview and everything that he says is addressing the specific beliefs that they hold. You think that God is disconnected and uninvolved. Well, this God that you have a shrine here to is the God who made everything that is. And he is never far off, he says. Through one man, he created every man. He outlined the nations. He is involved in everything. Everything. And then he goes on to say, and God has overlooked our misperceptions of him for a really long time. But a day has been set when he is going to judge the world with justice in Jesus, the true God. So it's time to make a decision. It's time to turn and recognize the one true God. And then he goes on to show to prove, basically, that Jesus is worthy of this by pointing to the resurrection. The true God, he has been proved true in his victory over death in the resurrection. And so this brings us to the last C, and that is Christ. As we're engaging in conversation with others about our faith, it is critical that we not skirt around Christ. Jesus is at the center of everything that the church is and believes. And to engage in conversations about faith and leave Jesus out, it's like forgetting to put sugar in the cake. In our eagerness to be relevant and sensitive to people's need, it's tempting to skirt around Jesus, because to Jesus is offensive to a lot of people, But when we do that, what happens is that we become simply one more philosopher, one more social service provider, addressing hunger or homelessness or addiction or crisis response, rather than filling the unique role that God has set the church and his believers apart to play. We are called to be spiritual midwives. It's a relevant analogy right now in our community. We are called to lovingly, patiently guide people through the process of being born again. We are called to introduce them to the one, the one, the one who offers them grace and peace that spans the grave. All of these other things that we chase after are fleeting. Jesus is the one thing, the one God, that offers us hope that spans the grave. Now, thankfully, Paul was an essentialist. He focused on the main thing, Jesus Christ, and proclaiming that. Because of that, we have much of the New Testament. And in this season, as we as a church community discern what comes after the green bean which has been our outward-focused ministry in this neighborhood for much of our existence. It's critical that we, too, remain focused on the essentials, that we order our lives and our church around Jesus and around the scriptures. It's critical that we allow his lordship to unsettle anything us, in us, and in our society that contradicts the gospel. In verse 7, Paul is described as a man who has turned the whole world upside down. And we are also called to turn the whole world upside down. What we have to offer the world is upside down. (laughs) But the reality is that our world is already upside down, isn't it? This world has been turned on its head. It's in chaos. It needs to be turned right side up by the message that we hold true, to live Christ, to share Christ, to help people to know him, to shape our lifestyle around him. This is our unique and our vital purpose in this world. And yes, this is scary. The curse of a pastor who has to preach is that you have to kind of work your way all the way, this passage has to work its way through you before you can come and preach it. And so I've been in a bit of angst this week sitting in this passage, especially given the story I shared at the beginning. I feel such deep conviction that at the end of the day, like, this is all that matters. And yet then I look at how much of a failure I am at even engaging in a simple get-to-know-you conversation with people who are different than me. And I'm like, oh, I'm not enough. And so at our community group this week, we did this exercise where we reflected on a lie that we have been living. And that was my lie. I am not enough, right? Given the state of things in this world and the deep convictions that I hold, I am accomplishing so little, right? I am not enough. And yet, the next part of that exercise was to sit and look across the table at the Trinity and to ask the Trinity to speak into that lie. and the thing that popped immediately into my mind: No, but Jesus is." None of us are enough. None of us know enough. None of us feel well enough equipped to convert our coworker, our family member, our neighbor. And I think that that is exactly where God wants us. <laughs> in the midst of our inadequacy, though, He says, I am enough. Just share about me. Let my spirit do the work. We are called to proclaim Jesus in our world. And if that terrifies you, that's probably exactly where you're supposed to be. You may not feel like you are enough, but Jesus is.